In a world where fans have grown tired of the same old cookie-cutter Comic-Con formats, only one con defies the odds. Only one Comic-Con stands what fans really want. Only one Comic-Con dares calls itself terrific. That's right, this August 17th through the 19th at the all-new giant-sized Mohegan Sun Expo Center in Uncasville, Connecticut, comes Terrific Con. Connecticut's Terrific Comic Con is back with New England's largest gathering of comic book artists and writers. Plus, Terrific Con delivers actors from your favorite TV shows and movies. And there's an all-new expanded gaming section as we give you tabletop gaming, video games, and so much more. Plus, don't forget, all kids 10 and under get in free at Terrific Con and can be part of the all-new All Yeah Kids Comic Con. Join us for three full days of Comic-Con action only in Connecticut at Terrific Con. For more information, go to our website, www.terrificcon.com. Avengers Infinity War. Now, nothing will ever be the same. Can anyone make sense out of all that's happened? These guys are going to try. Peter Melnick, local newspaper production associate, comic book enthusiast, and podcast pontificator. And Eddie Wilson, upstate New York morning radio broadcast announcer in the Sullivan Catskills, inundated with an inordinate amount of catching up in his own comic book universe. What happens next? Listen up, true believers. It's time for another episode of The Marvelists. When mobsters slew his family, Frank Castle vowed to spend the rest of his life avenging them. Trained as a Marine and equipped with a state-of-the-art arsenal, he now wages a one-man war on crime. Stan Lee presents The Punisher. Welcome, everyone, to The Marvelists. I'm Peter Melnick. And I'm, yes, Eddie Wilson. And before we get into the topic matter at hand of today's episode, Punisher from 1989, we want to talk to you fine people about how you can get a hold of us on social media. How, pray, tell. First, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash The Marvelists. And when you give us a like on there, you're going to join 4,000 plus. Plus, plus. Exactly. That's a lot. People that are liking our page and interacting with our community that we have built there. People! I know, it's... That's it, Gossamer. <laughs> Bugs Bunny, before he ran away. Monsters are such a... What is it thing? What does he say? Oh, don't... Oh, you're on the spot. There we go. Sorry, Eddie. Monsters, yeah. Mm-hmm. They're such interesting people. That's right. But also, go on Twitter at... The Marvelists. Give us combined follow. Give myself a follow at Peter Melnick, yourself. A follow at EWilson959. You can also follow us on Instagram at The Marvelists. Mm -hmm. You can also follow myself on Instagram at Peter Melnick, yourself. At Eddie9193. Very cool. And drop us a line in our email bag, themarvelists at gmail.com. Questions, comments, strongly worded letters, you name them, we'll read them. Maybe we will, maybe we won't. No, we will. We will. We will. We We will. We will. We won't. He's here, but he's not here. It's complicated. (laughs) Also, go on stitcher.com slash premium and use that promo code at checkout. Marvelists. And when you do, it helps support this here show. Helps out with server cost, helps out with all that stuff. You know, transportation, audio equipment, etc., Etc. Those hidden fees that are just always there lurking. They really are. They're just like hidden in plain sight. They're ugly. It's weird. 
Also, when you sign up for Stitcher Premium, you'll be able to listen to a wide variety of audio content, yeah. some of which includes the WTF archives with Mark Marin, the Smodcast archive featuring a crap ton of Smodco shows, the Earwolf Network, and also something that I just discovered and I got a real kick out of. Weird Al Yankovic's current tour is available for streaming on Stitcher Premium. Hey, did he just discover that platform? Evidently, but literally the first show I got to, that was on there was the Poughkeepsie New York show, which was in our backyard, and you can listen to it uninterrupted. Pretty much. I think it's going to do well. So, once again, go to stitcher.com slash premium and use the promo code at checkout, Marvelists, or say it, Eddie. Marvelous. There we go. And you'll be able to help support this here show, and you'll get a free month of Stitcher Premium. And when you sign up for Stitcher Premium after the first month, once if you want to stay, it will be four ninety nine a month. And to be completely honest, it is worth having. I love using it, and I love listening to the plethora of content on there. Now, Eddie, let's get into the news of Marvel. If you go over onto reddit.com slash r slash Thanos did nothing wrong, <laughs> let me give you a little bit of a backstory with this. There is a subreddit on Reddit called Thanos Did Nothing Wrong where people agree that Thanos did nothing wrong. And Doug Garnum from Haven for Heroes is probably a member or may have been a member of Thanos Did Nothing Wrong based on his conversation in that Infinity War episode we yeah. had. But they ended up accumulating over 200,000 members. And somebody in the group mentioned and said, hey, we have this many members. You know what we should do? We should ban half of the members in this group to maintain balance. Balance. <laughs> and off to the races they went. And I say that meaning they ended up getting such support that the Russo brothers joined in. You know, the directors of the Infinity War movies. Oh, yeah. They also ended up getting the support and a video message from Josh Brolin. And on July 9th, by that point, they actually accumulated 600,000 members. 600,000, Eddie. That's... Thanos did nothing wrong. And by the end of that day, that number was cut in half. <laughs> One of the Russo brothers were banned. Guess who ended up surviving, Eddie? Not me. Savio Vega guy. Yes, my Reddit username. I survived. <laughs> so I like to say that as one of the children of Thanos, I got to survive. Yes, you are. Rejoice. Man, when that movie comes out on DVD, that the Ebony Moss stuff, I cannot wait to see again. Mm -hmm. That is, going back to it, he is such an underrated part of that movie. Man. Like, I, I'm, like, I'm still can't get over it all these months later. But, Eddie, on top of that, what else has happened with Marvel News? We lost a Marvel giant. I was... Yeah, that... I actually went to go to the movies, and on my way there, I'm checking, uh... I'm checking my phone just for a second, and all of a sudden I see from a friend of mine... Just the phrase, Steve Ditko passed away. And I'm very fortunate. So 
Steve Ditko is considered by many people, including friend of the show John Gorgo, who mentioned in an article for the New York Daily News, Steve Ditko was the J.D. Salinger of comics. He was a guy who yeah. kept to himself, never was photographed or anything, and he kept to himself. He didn't work for Marvel ever again after the mid-90s. He just disappeared. Became a recluse. He would do his own thing. He would self-publish these like you know, comic book quote-unquote essays, and he just did his own thing. And when that happened, like, it was really heartbreaking to hear of what happened. He ended up being found in his apartment two days later. And when you hear something like that, it's heartbreaking because a guy like him, his law, you know, the minute he was gone, it should have been a big deal. But no one found out for about a week or so. Yeah. That sucks. Like, I can't put it into simpler words. I don't know if we've seen or there will be in the days to come uh, a statement by, and I don't know if they even said there were any family members. The article said no survivors. Okay, then we'll have to go by our own guesses, assumptions, or speculations that he wanted to live on his terms that way, become a hermit, recluse, etc., and... You know, just go go that way. Yeah. And I don't know if they determined uh, a cause of death, but... Well, what I had heard was he was living in an apartment over in Harlem, and no one knew who he was. When people were interviewed at his apartment building afterwards, they're like, you do know who that was, right? They go, no. That was the co-creator of Spider-Man. What? Yeah. And Doctor Strange. And a comment was made in regards to him not having survivors, and somebody said, no, he did have survivors. His creations, Spider-Man, Doctor Strange, Hawk and Dove. Yeah, and then later... Speedball. Um, speedball, yeah. A crap ton of content. And the biggest of which, Spider-Man, is something that we never expected to be that big of a deal, but it became that. So another legend passes, and you know we wanted to make mention of it and give tribute, so to speak. What was your first introduction to Steve Ditko? Amazing Fantasy, fifteen. Yeah, in a reprint, I believe that was the first I had seen of of his work. And then, uh, you know, he he did do several several titles. I wanna, I got Fantastic Four coming out of my mouth here now, and it, it could be in some respect if. He showed up, they showed up in a Spider-Man comic book, then of course, yes, that's where I would have remembered his work. And I gotta be honest, as a collector in the mid to late 70s as I started, I was not taken in by artwork of Steve Ditko or even Jack Kirby. At the time, yeah. At the time. Yeah, because when... It was just, I don't know what, if I was looking for anything in particular. The only thing I did know, and I've said it a long time ago, and probably on the other, the Audibly Exquisite podcast, that my first comic books were DC. Right. Weird War Tales, Unknown Soldier. That's just what happened. And I don't remember how I came into getting them. I mean, I could have picked them up at a barbershop waiting for my hair cut and started that way. But to me, seeing titles like Batman and Superman... The stories just seemed, and I was getting, I don't know, into my teenage years, that they were geared for younger 
audience. So the stories that I started finding in Marvel, I was like, okay, I could get into this. And so began that collection, collecting, and really didn't go to DC. Now things have changed, so there's a significant amount in that collection. But Ditko, to me, the, the, the drawing didn't look as, I don't know, mature as I thought it could be or as I saw in other artists later. Well, so I wasn't necessarily all drawn in. I would recognize, yes, oh, yeah, that's... And it took a while for me to be able to know an artist drawing and what it was like. Then I could nail the name of who did that. Well, when you really think about it, you were more raised on stuff such as George Perez, John Byrne, artists like that. Yeah. And there's going to be... And yeah. the Romita and the Bushimas. Exactly. You know, kinda, yeah. Mm-hmm. But that was the thing about his version of Spider-Man with Ditko. It was very raw and very... Well, Ditko. appropriate, I think, too, actually, what I had seen, and, and I do agree with the way he would be looking uh, wiry or just limbs here, and not haphazardly, but spider-like, let's Well, say. Ditko is a horror artist, and okay, some yeah. of his stuff is the most visceral stuff you will ever see. Like, pre-Comic Code Authority, mm. there's some violent stuff that he came out with. Yeah. And to know that... It does hurt knowing that, you know, he doesn't get the respect he deserves because, you know, in a lot of ways, yeah, it is true. Stan did take a lot of the credit, but the real people know, hey, he, how do I say it? He, if you knew, you knew. Yeah. You know? Uh, Yes. You know what? Stan was the PR person. Yeah. And... Either you know, whatever the actual circumstances were that he became, he embraced that role wholeheartedly, and it's it's hard. You can get intoxicated with being the go-to, being the the, uh, the 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 main contact for that, and it being all you, and maybe it's a big power trip kind of thing. And if nobody else wanted to take that mantle, take that on, and in some way it could be a burden to be the go-to of that. But you know, there and people who are in the know realize it wasn't just on one person that it was all done. Exactly. So, otherwise, we wouldn't be talking about these other people who contributed. You do see differences in artists and writers that in the early stages did several titles within a timeline, a time frame, you know, deadline restriction, and now it's not as many things as they do. I guess it was hard to believe that artists and writers could do so much, crank out so much material in a short period of time. Now it's it's different in that way and in other ways. But yes, definitely one that was a big name that we want to recognize. And some people, you know, nowadays, not sure, but, you know, founding father, even if you want to put it in that perspective. Absolutely. What about Steve Ditko would you say attracts the comic book fans? Like well, it's, his got a li- it's just got to lie in his, his drawing style. You know, that's what he was all about, what he was known for after you'd seen it several times nobody else drew like him so it eventually one way or the other it's kind of like playing a new song on the radio like it hate it you hear it every two hours you know it yeah and this is i think what the art of steve ditko came to be known as you know even if it wound up being a cover a random cover here and there or maybe doing the interiors changing up panels you're like wait a minute that's i recognize that that artwork and that's, you know, paying respect and homage to the person who did it, pure and simple. And I feel that he was somebody that 
was a unique figure because he could have let the fame go to his head and he didn't. He didn't he still he lived humbly and he also walked to the beat of his own drum, which was nice. And what I liked about him was how easily accessible he was. Because his number was listed. His address was listed. And if you wanted to write him a letter, you could do it. If you wanted to give him a phone call, you could do it. You're a case in point, right? I ended up writing him a letter in 2014. This was a few months after, I want to say, after I met Stan in 2013, I met him. I ended up writing to Ditko in 2014. Yep. And in my letter, I ended up writing along the lines of, Dear Mr. Ditko, thank you for your contributions to the comic book medium. I say that as a graphic designer because I loved how you would draw all the things you would do and just how mind-bogglingly gorgeous the stuff was. Just trippy and out there. And this was, by the way, stuff done by a guy who was as straight as an arrow. He'd never partook in any drugs. But yet the hippie counterculture movement loved him. And just, man, he he embraced like such a gorgeous art style. And so what I said to him in the letter was, thank you for being an influence on me. Just this gorgeous looking stuff. And my question I asked him was, and I've asked a number of comic book artists and writers, the key guys. Spider-Man will always be forever in print, but certain titles will come and go. Like, there's, like let's say there's like a random 1997 miniseries. You're probably never going to see that reprinted unless it's online, like a digital copy. But going to a comic book shop and looking on, you know, the bookshelf of books to buy, you know, a collection... The original 38 issues of Spider-Man and the first couple of annuals that he, you know, did the art for, you'll be able to get those forever and ever and ever. They'll always mm. be continually in print. Yeah, the miniseries are kind of tricky. You might catch those in a compilation with other miniseries. That is possible. Yeah. But as, as might be with the subject matter at hand, The Punisher, because I did a rundown of all the different ones that he's pretty much been a part of or in. Right, yeah. but the point being is... The original stuff will always be in print because that was the, you know, standard bearer. This was what gave birth to these characters. And I asked him what was it like knowing that his work will live forever. To which he responded back to me in a roundabout way saying, these will not last forever. Comic books are just a fad, essentially. The comic book movies especially because the different genres... He wrote to me about, like, the different genres. So he was saying to the effect of movies about westerns, gangster movies, this, that, the other thing. And then he at one point said piracy movies, and I thought he was talking about, you know, illegally downloading movies, but he actually meant pirate yar with the hook hands movies <laughs> and, you know, the gangplank and the poop decks and all that stuff. And he mentioned that, and I'm like, oh. He goes, these two will go that way. Ever the Debbie Upper Steve Ditko. <laughs> Not a Debbie Downer, a Debbie Upper. Okay, all right. And that was how the letter ended. And one of the things about this was this. I had always heard that Steve wrote people back with handwritten letters. So to pay the favor back to him, I did the same. I wrote him a letter by hand. And that man who was 80, in his late 80s at the time, thought, yeah. had to decipher my awful handwriting. So <laughs> I just love knowing that I got a handwritten letter sent to me by Steve Ditko, the co-creator of Spider-Man. 
and that's something it is one of my most prized possessions I own. Is he the happiest person in it? No. But Steve Ditko took the time, wrote that's, a letter on a right. piece of paper, put it into a Steve Ditko envelope, put a Steve Ditko mailing address on there, wrote my name on the envelope. The guy who drew created Spider-Man, co-created Spider-Man, wrote my name on something. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, that's a chilling thing. It's it's a chilling thing, but as somebody who is obsessed with the character, someone who is someone who has a set of morals based upon that character, that's cool. Yeah, no question. And that's the importance you of laminate the damn thing. That's the importance of Steve Ditko in the comic book community. Because he had his morals too. Yeah. Were they were they always right? In my, you know, I'm not an Anne Randian person, so I don't feel that way. But again, your mileage may vary, people. But he was he was a firm believer of what he believed in. He was offered a lot of money by a lot of people, various conventions over the years to do appearances. New York Comic Con and San Diego Comic Con probably have offered him a king's ransom, and he said no. He said no. And the thing is this, if he were to have done it, it's been said in the past, it wouldn't have just been comic book fans on that line. It would have been people in the industry going up to oh, walk yeah. up to the man, shake his hand, and say thank you. Mm-hmm. And it never happened. He only did one convention, and that was like one of the early, early, early conventions in the 1960s. And he wasn't happy being there. Yeah, well, hence the, you know, decline on the offer then. I mean, friend of the show, Mitch Halleck, the promoter behind Terrificon, he's openly, you know, offered, you know, he he went to his friggin' office. Nothing ever happened. <laughs> yeah. And it's, at the end of the day, Steve Ditko will live on through his creations. He lived a humble life towards the end. Steve Ditko, Godspeed. Well said. Spider-Man, Spider-Man, does whatever a spider can. Spins a web any size, catches thieves just like flies. Look out, here comes the Spider-Man. Is he strong? Listen, bud. He's got radioactive blood. Can he swing from a thread? Take a look overhead. Hey there, there goes a Spider-Man. In the chill of night, at the scene of a crime, like a streak of light, he arrives just in time. Spider-Man, Spider-Man, friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Welcome, fame, he's ignored. Action is his reward to him. Life is a great big hang-up. Wherever there's a hang-up, you'll find a Spider-Man. So now on to today's topic matter at hand. We are going to be covering 1989's The Punisher, starring Dolph Lundgren and Lou Gossett Jr. Hell of a tag team, i got to tell you. On the top of the title of the box for the seat DVD, yep. Man, I'll be honest, I went into this movie dreading it. 
You sure did, at least on the phone. Oh, I gotta watch the punishment. It, it wasn't just that; it was in person. I saw you saw my shoulders sag when I said it. I'm like, oh, I gotta watch this movie. <laughs> and I had never seen this movie before. I actually bought it on DVD, 2004, 2005, right? Yeah, two, that, it was 2004 because it was right after the original, the uh, 2004 Thomas Jane movie came out, and they re-released it on DVD, you know, to capitalize on it. Well, that movie sat on my shelf since 2004, unopened. And I finally got to watch it this week, this, as of this recording on July 10th. And let me tell you, I love the hell out of this movie. And I, <laughs> what a, uh, I don't know. It's, it was the ultimate example of lowered expectations for a movie. <laughs> and sometimes it actually pays to do that. Like go to like, as a person who has a movie pass account, going to random movies nowadays. Eh, I'll just go see this today. Why not? Eh, whatever. And you fall in love with some of this stuff that you wouldn't otherwise expect yourself to like. This movie is the ultimate example of '80s cheese, too. As someone who grew up in the 1980s, you know, during that time, I imagine you were witness to a lot of Charles Bronson, Chuck Norris. Jean-Claude Van Damme movies. Yeah. Which, yeah. by the way, you randomly referenced today of all the movies in the world to reference. You referenced yeah, you know, Time Cop. It happens. I love that. Right. That's right. There's never enough time to please a woman. There's another one. Why do you know more than one line from sorry, Time Cop? Sorry, Satisfy a Woman. That's okay. It was a cool movie. <laughs> all right. Right on. But, Eddie? What was it? The, the bad guy said, you don't kill him, you don't get to go back. Let's get into this movie. Okay, yes. You go right ahead. Go right ahead. Okay, well, <sighs> New World Pictures, and in quotes, I'm sorry, in parentheses, Australia. I guess we had some foreign interests in here as well. It was actually filmed in Australia. There you go. And this was a movie that used a lot of uh, guerrilla tech, uh, technicalities. They actually would just randomly go to places, film... And this is like the first and only time some of these locations will ever be shot on film for a movie. Yeah, and for, I didn't look until it was over, but 90 minutes running time, essentially. It, it was 89 minutes, Eddie. Just like the year that's, it came out. Okay, fine, make well, the parallel. Well, that's the thing. It's actually shorter than most movies. Well, having taken a film class in high school, the, the average length would be 90 minutes, at least at that point. And fun fact, out of ten movies that are made, seven don't make money. Two break even, one is a blockbuster. That may still prevail 25, 30 years later after taking that class. All right, 35 years later. <laughs> we find out early in this film he's already got 125 kills in about five years' time period. And boy, it, does that lead to my favorite quote in the whole it movie. It does. I mean, we are in the midst of what's happening we're told, find out through flashback, that his family has died in a car bomb explosion that was parked in a driveway, and and how uh, a sub character who looks like a street urchin bum, whatever, is uh, is lured into into helping Frank Castle with some information by a a bottle being remote controlled on the back of a uh, little little pickup truck. Now, Eddie, remote, remote controlled car thing. Yeah, this guy, he's an actor and everything. I'll be completely honest. 
I gotta tell you, this is a character who I feel they were actually borrowing a little bit from Moon Knight. And I say that with this character in the sense of, Eddie, how familiar are you with the original run of Moon Knight? The original run? The um, Bill Sienkiewicz mm-hmm. run? Somewhat. He reminds yeah. me of Crawley, the guy who's kind of a drunk and he uses the same tea bag for everything. Okay. Okay, I kind of go, yeah, it's, it's stirring up a memory. Mm-hmm. Crowley. You reference uh, using the same tea bag all the time. I, it kind of sounded like it reminds me of something, yeah. This character reminds me of him, and I feel they borrowed heavily from something you wouldn't expect. True. And okay. It, it makes sense to have a character like that in response to a Frank Castle because you need the quote unquote informant on the streets. And it's a useful character. It it is. And like with most movies, they should of course put a character in that they are going to use and have be useful. And otherwise why why put the person in there? Not because you needed to have a certain amount of people different backgrounds, whatever the reason. So, yeah. I'm going to give you the synopsis of The Punisher on the back of the DVD box, so please stifle yourself. (laughs) The avenging angel of Marvel Comics fame comes brilliantly to life in this searing action-adventure thriller. Dolph Lundgren stars as Frank Castle, a veteran cop who loses his entire family to a mafia car bomb. Only his ex-partner, Louis Gossett Jr., believes Castle survived the blast to become the Punisher, a shadowy, invincible fighter against evil who lives for total revenge on his mob enemies. Lashing out from a labyrinth of subterranean sewers, the Punisher leads a heavily armed raid into a world of brutal crime and savage retribution, a world where only one thing is certain, the guilty will be punished. Oh, because he's the Punisher. Oh, yeah. and if, I got it. If society won't punish the guilty, he will. And, again, I I would say in regards to my surprise of liking this movie, they certainly got the vibe of the 1980s heavily in regards to, like, you know, the, the cliche movie that, you know, you're a teenager. It's like 1989, 1990. You go to the video store and you, you're looking through the wall of tapes and all of a sudden, you just see this. Yeah, I do want to watch Dolph Lundgren, you know, shoot a gun at things. Yeah. <laughs> I bet there's explosions. Yeah. I'll do it. And then you're greeted with his ass. He's <laughs> sitting down, shot from the back, in semi-yoga position, but... Uh, hey, dirty, if you're dirt, done with that... Dirty and <laughs> scarred, and maybe we wanted to have a little... I don't know. Appeal? Sort of, kind of, in that way? I, I don't know. I guess... Question I mean, mark? You know, there there are other cases like this that come to mind. I think of the antagonist from Die Hard with a Vengeance, or the second Die Hard movie, rather. You know, I've only seen the first Die Hard. The Colonel. That, Clink. Yeah, not, not Clink. The one that became the president in Iron Man 3. Not Colonel Clink. No, not at all. But just... You know, doing doing that as a uh, you know, there's something to be said about that. Maybe in the mindset of, I'm thinking of of, of a wartime fighter, and they just you know, clothes are a distraction. Let's say for them, <laughs> clothes to, are a huh, distraction. Huh, huh, who knows what the think thought process is here? 
And thank goodness we only got a back shot and sitting. But not that there's anything wrong with that. Yes, yes. <laughs> just trying to put it all in perspective. Who's question mark right there too? The man's ass. <laughs> or was it what was it, what was the email? The text that said, Do we really need to see Ivan Drago's yeah, that was a question that was asked. Do we really need to see Ivan Drago's ass? In, in not so many words. No, we did not need to see... This... Cliff Hills, I think, was. In this movie. No. No, we did not need to see it. Did it happen? Yes, yes. You saw it, I saw it. We all saw it the happened, damn thing. It happened twice. Gosh darn it. Can't unsee it now. No matter how much eye bleach you have, you just will always see... Those globes of hey. L- Lundgren ass. That's, 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 stop it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> what is wrong with us? Yeah, okay. I had never seen this movie before, and going into it, I'm like, yeah, this is going to be like cheesy 1980s action. Some of the kills he does in this are pretty damn brutal. Well, they are, and that contributes to, I think, the cheese factor. They're They're shocking. They're not where you see it's going to happen. You you might surmise in some cases what's going to, but a character might be speaking all of a sudden, boom, there's a hole in his chest or head or a knife or in one case the girl takes her earrings off her ears and they become little knives that she throws and, and pins a That was guy, incredibly cheesy, but I loved it. And pins the guy by his wrist to the wall. Figure that one out. A, uh, a babysitter who's holding a large panda bear gets shot right through the center of the panda bear, which is, erupts into a little bit of blood there and so on. And the kid, the kid's violence part, having that right there is pretty much eh, a, no, a no-no nowadays, really, to have the kids literally right there exposed to this violence. There's a lot of psychotherapy ha- waiting to happen. Psychotherapy, so psychotherapy. <laughs> Sorry, sometimes I like... Is that a Ramones thing? It is. Okay. It must be. It's the same three chords over and over. <laughs> That's exactly right. You know, there, there is or are um, some Punisher comics that have kids in there as well. I did see one recently. I did have a couple of pictures that'll accommodate this episode's post. Actually, they came from What If? I think the second series where there's two different What Ifs featuring the Punisher in that in that run. And, you know, the idea of a bizarre, crazy, cheesy Punisher movie isn't surprising given the character. And, like, this is a character that was at his height during the 1980s, in a lot of ways, 1980s, 1990s. And what else was at the you know the height at its time? Canon movies with their movies like Death Wish, every single thing Chuck Norris did for them. And it's, it's fitting. It's fitting to see a Punisher movie in this style. And the fact that it wasn't actually done a little bit sooner, that comes off as a bit of a surprise. You know, I'm not sure because in just looking up Punisher comic book titles. He doesn't get his own until 1986 with the uh, five-issue limited series, and then the long run in uh, 87 to 95, and it goes through a a crap ton of titles where it goes into Marvel Knights 2099, Punisher Max, Armory, where you too could have, uh, you know, learn how to get all the weapons that the Punisher uses and or has. War Journal, POV, whatever the case, he's had a lot of different titles, but his first appearance... Amazing Spider-Man 129, which harkens back to the 70s. So, yeah, the character's been around. I, if I, I guess Wikipedia it, could see where the Punisher has made appearances since that beginning. So I can understand your comment, Peter, about, you know, why didn't we see this sooner? 
I think because of the nature of this character, it may have sat on a back burner for a while to quote-unquote justify this person being good when he's killing so rampantly and wantonly. And I do think of another very similar character from a war veteran, I believe Vietnam War veteran, Don Pendleton, who wrote a lot of the books on the executioner, Mac Bolan, who I was introduced to in my early teenage years, actually, and read quite a bit of uh, of that stuff. So, and that directly, that character also, Mac Bolan, a definite mafia tie-in. And with two other offshoot uh, books that came about, I can think of as one, Able Team, the other one, but a direct uh, correlation, I believe, to this. This character, the Punisher, is is really because his family was killed. And he's now taken it upon himself to seek revenge, vengeance, justice, all those things. Vigilante, yeah, I think he fits in that in that category. Obviously, the main comparison is Death Wish. Okay, sure. If as you, far as the cinematic thing, yeah. Well, I, I say the background of the character because The Punisher came out, I believe, a year or two after Bronson's Death Wish. And it was basically vigilante, this, that, the other thing. And to see a comic book version of that kind of character, it it made sense from a marketing standpoint. You want to capitalize on what's hot. Vigilante movies are really hot. And then, you know, like, at the real big height of the character, of the Punisher, like I said, in the 1980s, you have the 1984 New York City subway shooting involving Bernard Goetz, Mm. who, you know, attacked four teenagers. Like, he pulled out a gun at them, and just... It's craziness, and they're like Marvel. It's a, it's a weird thing. Marvel capitalized on that. Like they pushed him out a little bit more, a little bit more. If things like that precipitated it, then that would have justified Marvel coming out with his character. Yeah, it's like okay, no, it's it's out there, it's out in society now. Maybe people will be more receptive to this character coming with his story. And know. he's such a unique character in that he is a hero, but he's not. He's here, but he's not here. He's here, but he's not here. It's complicated. That's what the Punisher is. He's a complicated character. Also in this movie, you don't see the characteristic characteristic white skull logo on his chest shirt, and we get that, we get that later with the next Punisher movie. So I've had discussions with people about these, and... One of the comments was made, people don't like this movie because the Punisher shirt doesn't show up. The stupid skull shirt doesn't show up. Yeah, no, that's not a reason. I don't think that's a complaint on why people don't like this. People don't like this because it's a movie from a certain time where if you don't like movies that are like this already, the cheesy 80s action stuff, yeah, you're going to have a bad time. This is what was prevalent in other movies, whether it was horror movies or comedies, maybe to an extent romantic movies this was the style yeah and if you weren't there in the 80s growing up or being exposed to this yeah it's is very foreign to you but i will say the look of lundgren's punisher is such a badass kind of thing and out of all the versions of the punisher i've seen including john bernthal's run on the netflix stuff I actually like this one the most. Like, it's just, it's simple and to the point. It's a guy in a leather jacket 
all black, just, you know, the combat boots. You don't need any frills. It's just what it is. I don't know if I would say this is the best representation of the Punisher, to be quite honest. And most of my reason, and I, I say in looking they, at it, well, I didn't really see this at its outset until just recently myself. This I thought I might well. have. So, but but the first thing for me to get past is Dolph Lundgren, Ivan Drago, Rocky Four, which was just, what, three years prior? I believe so, yeah. That's a tough one. I mean, come on, they ended communism, that movie. And how do you top that? I mean, two guys killing each other. Yeah. Now, one of my complaints about this movie is, in a way, his accent that he uses for this. He, I feel like he's trying to do a Stallone, and I feel like... Stallone was the director's and the producer's original choice for who Frank Castle should have been. Mm. And, you know, you have Stallone doing movies in the 1980s like Cobra and... Rambo. Yeah, Rambo. These, you know, over-the-top badasses. I feel... Let's say it had happened. Could a Stallone Punisher movie have worked back in the day? It's It's possible. I don't think it would have worked. Mm-hmm. I think he's too... At that time, regardless of movies like Cobra, regardless of movies like Rambo, Stallone doesn't have that image to me. You know, the over-the-top gun... Like, obviously, he's the... Another Stallone movie, right? Over the top. Good, there you go. Good mm-hmm. reference. But, as you know, he yeah, he has stuff like Rambo and stuff like that. But there's also like a slight difference in regards to like a death wish kind of thing. Like I you couldn't see him yeah, do a death wish. There's a there's a if you if you uh, put it under the microscope sort of there's a delineation a difference in there, you know. And even in in Cobra, Rambo, and Punisher, there's definitely a a driving force, a cause, a reason for all this to be happening. Uh, maybe equally as important, but with the framework of. It being out of a Marvel comic book, it takes a little different perspective. But some realism in there as well with, you know, the death of the family and all that stuff. So it, it could have gone either way, I think, Right. if it was a Stallone, you know, geared Now, film. one thing I want to say again, however, is I'm still—I like this movie— and if you had told me that, that I would actually put this up there with another favorite of mine in the Punisher movies, and out of the two we have left, I'm not going to tell you which one it is. Yep. I'm not going to bury the lead, people. I would be surprised that I put that so highly up there with that. It's not the most perfect representation of the character. I get that. But then you have like scenes like as we're watching this right now, it's playing in the background the scene with Lou Gossett Jr.'s character talking to Frank in the jail cell. Yeah. And it leads to one of my favorite lines in the whole movie. What do you call 125 murders? A work in progress. And I would I'm gonna be that person that says this. I feel this scene is a bare-bones version 
of the Joker Batman interrogation scene from The Dark Knight. Hmm. That's a hell of a parallel, but yeah. okay. But it makes sense, doesn't it? Okay, we'll go there. Um, I, I, when I hear a work in progress, that's what I refer to as uh, <laughs> what I do on the radio. <laughs> but, but I think it is in, in that respect. So always always scrutinizing and always reevaluating. Yeah, that is a pretty decent, decent. It's a pretty poignant, prolific statement. I, I agree with that. I don't know how much... I, I can't be giving this a glowing review overall, though. Um, Due to the violence? Th- th- no, the violence is going to be expected in there, and, and you get it. Shock value, or you see that, oh boy, somebody's going to get it, but not sure how. They're going to get a whooping. Whichever whoopin'. way. I mean, you're not doing a Hitchcock suspense kind of thing where it's going to build up to it. It just happens. This is uh, guns and explosions. Who's going to live? Who's not going to live? You know, any, everybody is subject to not making it a surprise twist, whatever it, it might be. This is not a movie that you're going to have a poignant discussion about afterwards at the local diner with your friends while, you know, you enjoy a nice beverage. No, no this would is... you like to order dessert? No, I mean, yeah, you'd be done with it and ready for your ice cream. But I, I think I dare go on record as saying this has probably got to be the most well-lit sewer system <laughs> ever that you can drive your motorcycle through it and, you know... Every 25 feet is another big light that just helps you see where... Um, yeah, so, okay, let's let's go with that. And I'm thinking, they really made the sewer system this big? It's a big sewer system. I guess a lot of crap going on down there. Literally. Stop. Uh, uh. But again, the kid violence part. I mean, the whole thing with the uh, the bus... Being being hijacked, the kids being rescued, uh, and you know just before, like you said, the the cell scene with Lewis Gossett Jr.'s character and Frank Castle, him surrendering, and you know that seeming to be the only way he can continue to live, uh, being put on the stretcher. Himself. Eddie, I'll be honest, I just find it funny you calling him Lewis Gossett Jr. <laughs> Instead of Lou. Yeah, I'm people, reading the credit people, off the DVD. People call box. him Lou. You call me Al for crying out loud. You know. Da, 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 da. <laughs> How much uh, uh, realism or authenticity was there to seeing, you know, Coney Island sign in Funnyland, that kind of thing? And I him think get, stuff and like him getting beat up by a girl before he gets put on the stretcher. I think that kind of stuff is needed. The element of, you know, like the quote unquote, how do I say it? New York City vibe. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it. to be honest, it doesn't really feel that much like New York, but. Yeah, no, anywhere USA, I think. It does. It really does. Anywhere urban city USA. I, whatever. Now, what I want to know is, with this portrayal, what about the character did Lundgren get right? I guess his motivation, his drive, his his cause was was on the right track. So kudos for that. We can assume that from his kills, he's able to acquire all this weaponry. And remain, you know, under the radar, and not be found, and have this being, you know, the, the subterranean home hideaway. So he's not he's not found out. He can still do what he's doing in five years, 125 kills, and and all that. What I found interesting too was the twist of having him work with the character of uh, Gianni Franco, who he partnered up with for a bit of time to, you know, get a mutual baddie and. His own, meaning Gianni Franco's son, I think it was Tommy, uh, rescued as well. Now, that character looked familiar to me because I believe he was um, opposite Harrison Ford in The Fugitive. 
the other doctor, who twisted the findings of, you know, switching samples and in, in developing a drug in that in that movie. I actually did not realize that that was him. I'm pretty pretty sure it was. I didn't look up, make sure the character the character's actual name was correct, but I'm like, no, that's that's him. Also, with this movie, with the character, I feel like the guy he teams up with at the end, mm-hmm. he almost looks like Hank from Breaking Bad, if you've ever seen the show. <sighs> I haven't, but okay. And there's another actor. I'm trying to remember who it is. But I thought when I was watching this, oh, that's Hank from Break- Breaking Bad. It's not. No. It absolutely is not. And just it's it's certainly a thing. Well, it's a thing too when um you know he Frank puts down Gianni Franco and his son Tommy pulls out, you know, grabs the gun from the floor and he says he's gonna kill Frank, but it does it doesn't happen. The intensity of that scene. See, yeah, exactly. And uh, I mean take the line for what it's worth when, when Frank says to Tommy, You're a good kid. Grow up to be a good man. If not, I'll be waiting. That's an ominous line. I'm sorry. Like, that's essentially... He's threatening a little kid. Hey, just so you know, I will kill you. If you mess up, I will kill you. That's... You know... That's unnerving. It is. It is. too. I don't know if it was unnerving, too, but I took a note and during the credits, so there are like 50 stunt people in this movie. Well, did you watch the movie? (laughs) Look look how much explosions and like, hey, we're going to throw this guy into a thing. Well, you know, but for that time, I, I don't know. I, I don't make a comparison of stunt people from 1989 versus now or anything like that, but definitely had to be a, a plethora. So, Eddie, overall with this movie, as you can tell based on what I'm saying, I really enjoyed it. There may be a subliminal uh, reason why that's in there, too. I, I, and I'm trying to bring in one other aspect that I just happen to think of. And that had to do with well, there was a, a demolition of um, the bar, the bar scene, and the and the uh, sound effects, and the sounds in general, just smacked. I think of uh, the first Terminator movie, it had that bit of a feel in there, in there as well. Why do you say that? Just some of the some of the, it's the music as as sound in some of the scenes, was I think very much very much like that, and the way you heard some, sounds whether it was gunshots. Or glass breaking, things like that. Punches, hits, drops, and I said those sounds. And I, you know, I'm, I'm a nut with with sound with audio. And I said Terminator. You I are, just, and I, I respect just, you for that. I just went right there with it from the first one, really. And you go back, you can go back and think about the first Terminator movie from what '84, and how that had a bunch of cheesiness to it. But that that more so, I think, out of that time period holds up very well with, with me. So another little delineation there. But back to your overallness, if you like those kind of things, suspenders, overalls, whatever. I, I, I got it. <laughs> Keep it. For me, I'm a fan of a lot of this stuff. I'm a fan of cheesy 80s movies and that over-the-topness, that it's mindless entertainment and... Not much thought needed here, that's right. Yeah. Check your brain at the door. It's for what it gets across... It still has a bit of a quote unquote morality to it. Yes. Twisted morality, but morality yeah, no. nonetheless. Yeah. Morality brought out to an extreme and a tangent that, you know, you, you want to bring it home bring to, it a lesser, to a lesser to degree. Me. What the heck is he doing? <laughs> well, wow. Yeah. 
not even doing Guns N' Roses now, but okay. I was doing Sam Cooke. Did I just stump the radio guy? Trouble, man. That's Marvin Gaye, Eddie. Well, we're you know we're going that way. May as well bring all, <laughs> bring him in. Bring it on home. On your me. left. All right, but for me, as a fan of cheesy movies, as a fan of you know the Charles Bronsons of the world, like you know after his height, you know in the twilight of his career, stuff like this. This is something I never would have expected to see us cover, like this kind of movie. Never in my wildest dreams. Like, when I say this, I mean a cheesy, over-the-top explosion movie, which doesn't have much story to it, essentially. <laughs> and, now we're, and now as we're seeing the massacre of the karate class. Yeah. Essentially. And... Because this is an example of how far along we've gone with these movies, yeah. too. Yeah, true. I, I believe if we didn't have this, we wouldn't have the kind of movies we have nowadays. Plain and simple. Yeah, because you got to go through the pangs of the early stages of making these types of movies. I would think, I would speculate as a, as a viewer, as a fan, to know what works, what doesn't work, what hits, what lands, what just falls flat, plop on the floor. Somebody get a mop, please. Toxic Avenger, are you there? Okay. Toxic? Whatever. Sure. And yeah, and, and learn and go and progress from there, right? I feel like referencing Toxie is the most appropriate thing given this kind of movie. It just came to mind. Yeah. There you go. If I was to give this movie a grade out of my five scale, I would give it higher than me. A three. Three out of five. Oh. Fine. Okay. I've built it up as that, but it's is it the greatest movie I've ever seen? No. But with the expectations so low, I could limbo under them. How low can you go? Oh, I went pretty low. Yeah, well, um, three, three out of five, the way you we were talking about it through this episode was it's a, under expectation from what I was thinking you were going to give it. It's a solid three, and it's better than some of, like, in terms of just my entertainment I got out of this, it's better than certain, you know, major movies that we've seen nowadays. Well, you know what? That's true. You did give a couple in the MCU a little lower rating. So, or, or I liked this more than Iron Man 3. Oh. And I liked this more than Thor The Dark World. Oh, God, did Peter, I ever. Peter. Yes. Malekith Melnick. <laughs> he That's is the it. villain. You are a PMM now. I gave it a three also, and maybe I was being a little bit kinder to it, but I thought it better than average, better than right down the middle, uh, but but kind of tough in, in a it respect or two. So, so I think a pretty strong three is, is good, and let's just move on from here. <laughs> so now our next episode is actually going to be a mini detour away from our Punisher rewatch. The next movie after this upcoming movie will be Punisher from 2004 starring Thomas Jane. And John Travolta. But the movie we're going to be covering next is number 20 in the MCU. Oh. Yes, people, I'm talking about the newly released Ant-Man and the Wasp. I saw it. As of this recording, Eddie has not seen it. Soon. I really dug it. And I'm, I'm hoping Eddie will dig it as well. But it is the number one movie in America as of this recording. I'm pretty positive. Sure thing. I'm pretty positive most of you people out there listening to this show, listening to my dulcet tones, have seen the movie. 
If not, what are you listening to the show for? Your Malekith Avoid tones. Avoid next episode, then, if you have not watched Ant-Man and the Wasp. So now, before we go, how can people get a hold of us on social media, Eddie? I'm glad you asked yourself that. Well, you can go on Facebook at facebook.com slash... The Marvelists. Give us a like on there. Give myself on Twitter at Peter Malnicofalo, yourself. At EWilson959. And then collectively, you can find us on Twitter at... The Marvelists. You can also find us on Instagram collectively as at... The Marvelists. Finally, you can find myself on Instagram at Peter Melnick. Yourself? Not finally, because it's about the fourth one now. Eddie, 9193. I just really like The Rock with his finally. But anyway, you can also find (laughs) Eddie's just stunned disbelief with his goatee. The size says all. You can also... One size fits all. You can also go on Stitcher.com slash premium and use at checkout the promo code... Marvelists. And sign up for a free one-month trial of... Stitcher Stitcher Radio. The premium version. Okay, Stitcher Premium Radio. Fancy, right? Yes, you are. I'm so fancy. With my ketchup. I already know. Anyway, I'm just referencing now stuff like that. Here we are. But... When you sign up for Stitcher Premium, you get a plethora of content, including the WTF archives with Mark Marin, the Airwolf Network, as well as Smodcast and Wolverine the Long Night. I forgot to mention that earlier. But Wolverine the Long Night is on there to listen to from Marvel Studios. So once again, go to Stitcher.com slash premium and use at checkout Marvelists as your promo code. And you will be able to get a free one-month subscription of Stitcher Premium. And after that one month is over, if you want to stay on, it is $4.99 a month. $4.99 a month. And we would appreciate it if you people out there go and sign up for that because it helps support the show. You like this show? You want to see it keep going? Support the show and do that. And you can also support the show by dropping us a line in our email bag. Questions, comments, strongly worded letters, themarvelous at gmail.com. So now, once again, before we go, our episode is going to be Ant-Man and the Wasp. For Peter Melnick, I'm Peter Melnick. Who else would you be? And I'm Eddie Wilson. Excelsior.